Hey, it's Doug here. This episode is back from October. Well, I recorded it in October back in New Orleans. I chatted with Paula Pant from Before to Anything and J.D. Roth. And this was live on the floor of the Expo Hall at FinCon. Now, Carl wasn't able to make it to the conference. He canceled at the last minute. Well, I can't blame him. He was taking care of his sick children, but Carl and I uh, weren't able to do this together. I did this one solo along with Paula and JD, of course. And side note, Carl and I are writing a book about laziness and anti-productivity. We will be covering sabbaticals, and that's why I thought Paula and JD would be perfect to chat with. They both took sabbaticals recently, but they approached it completely differently. If you're watching on YouTube, you won't see a video. I decided not to lug around my camera gear. Instead, there's a slideshow of the interview, just still images, and that's courtesy of FinCon. They took photos during the whole conference. And shout out to my friend Denise, who also took a few images on her phone and then sent them over to me. Please check out Paula and JD on their sites. Paula has a big podcast, so if you never listen to Afford Anything, it's very good. You're in for a treat. Also, do her a favor and check out her Afford Anything YouTube channel. Thanks a lot. Let's get to the interview. This is the Mile High Five podcast with Carl Jensen and Doug Cunnington. We have authentic conversations about the journey to Phi, health, happiness, and some very odd tangents. We interview Phi experts, side hustlers, people on their way to Phi, and those who have reached the other side. Join us every week, and if you want the show notes and links and all that other stuff, head over to milehighfi.com. Hey, what's going on? Welcome to the Mile High Five podcast. My name is Doug Cunnington, and we are recording live here at FinCon. And unfortunately, my co-host, Carl, he's out. So he, he's back home taking care of family. But I have awesome guests today, and we're going to talk about sabbaticals. So we have Paula Pant and J.D. Roth. So welcome, guys. How are you doing? Fantastic. Very good. So for people that don't know you at all, can you just give a really quick intro on yourself? And JD, why don't you go first? Sure. Uh, my name is JD Roth, and I've always said that I'm an accidental personal finance expert. Uh, I stumbled into writing about personal finance because I was struggling with debt myself, and uh, I was just trying to share how I was learning how to manage money correctly. And somehow that turned into a business and a career. And now I'm trying to get out of that career. <laughs> Yeah, I read your most recent blog post just to catch up a little bit because we haven't talked in many months. Yeah, probably about since December, probably. It's interesting. Hopefully, we'll dig into some of that stuff. And then, Paula, how about you? My name is Paula Pan. I am the host of a podcast called Afford Anything. The idea is that you can afford anything but not everything. So it's very much a podcast about clear thinking and decision-making disguised as a money show. And normally, Carl and I banter and talk about a bunch of other stuff, but we're a little bit on a time schedule today, and uh, we're just going to jump right into it. So one interesting thing, Carl and I are we're writing a book together about laziness. Oh, I love mm. it. That's awesome. It's really anti-productivity. Laziness needs like a rebranding, but... So yeah. are, are you familiar with the concept of idleness? Have you guys gone down that path? A little, a little bit, but please tell us. So idleness... I can't remember who it is now. Maybe Ben Johnson from the uh, 1700s wrote about idleness. And idleness is a thing. And actually, uh, there was a very famous essay called In Praise of Idleness, uh, published, I think, 1920, maybe, by Bertrand Russell. I I'm going to get some of the names wrong. But idleness has been something that I've been exploring this year. And it's essentially laziness, but with a word that doesn't have as many negative connotations. And in fact, I just subscribed to a magazine out of the UK called The Idler. And it's all about being idle. And, and that's what I aspire to be is idle now. That's what I want to be. Okay. We'll, we'll have to talk more for sure. And Paula, what do, you, what do you think based on that? Well, for, okay, so JD, my question to you. So how do you define idle? Idle is... I'm trying to figure out whether I should call it directionless. It's hmm. uh, unforced curiosity, I guess I would say. So you're not like adhering to a schedule. You're not being driven by external motivators. It's just what you want to do in the moment. And it sounds very hedonistic, mm -hmm. uh, but it's, 
in my case, the way it manifests itself is uh, I've given myself permission to try to be retired from writing about money. And I'm doing things like taking art classes. So I'm taking a watercolor class. And I don't have any plan or direction. And this goes very much against what I've written about in the personal finance space, because I'm the guy who writes about purpose mm-hmm. and, and having mission statements. Mm-hmm. And right now, I'm not doing anything that is purposeful or adhering to a mission statement. I'm just doing whatever I want to do right now. Hmm. I mean, if I may, it sounds to me as though, like, when you talk about taking art classes, I think about a college student taking electives. Right? Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. You've got this elective, and it has nothing to do with your major, but you're taking it because you want to learn for the sake of learning. Yes. And so that that to me sounds like a purpose, right? Well, and in a lot of ways, idleness is, or my version of idleness in the versions that I'm reading about is very much aligned with like you always hear the advice to be present in the moment, right? This mm-hmm. is popular advice with the new age community, but it's also it's like. The uh, Eastern mysticism also talks about being present in the moment. And idleness is very much about being present in the moment and being here in the now. And I love it. Mm, right. So it, it, it is a lot like electives in college. It's like, okay, what do I want to do right now? Right. Right. That exploratory time. So is that the same thing as laziness? Oh, good uh, question. Yeah. Not, not exactly. And I think... Hopefully we'll get into it in the sabbatical discussion here a little bit, but mm-hmm. yeah, the answer is, I don't know. We, we haven't thought about it that hard. It's like we, <laughs> we were like, hey, we're going to write a book on laziness, and then we created a uh, big project for ourselves, so it's like we're doing it all wrong anyway. That's right. right. <laughs> it's like so... The irony. Yeah. It, so I think idleness and laziness are different, and I think the distinction, I mean, this will probably be a section in the book, because laziness does have the negative connotation, and I think part of it is valid. Because mm-hmm. Carl and I are not really lazy, but we need to turn down our productivity that we've like developed over the years mm-hmm. so that we can do other things mm-hmm. and not run ourselves ragged, you know? I know that Mindy has told me that she wishes that Carl would just take a little bit more downtime. He will. He promises in two weeks he'll have all the projects done. It's a perpetual two weeks here. Well, both of you took sabbaticals over the past year or so, but for vastly different reasons. So, Paulo, what have you been up to? Sure. So, I took a sabbatical from... So, I started Afford Anything, the brand, uh, the brand, the blog, the newsletter. I started it in 2011. And I started the podcast in either 2015 or 2016. I think it might have been... I think it was January 2016. So I've been doing this for a really long time. And it uh, I needed a break. You know, I, I and I didn't want to take a break forever, but I needed a, I needed a year. Because if this is something uh, that I plan on doing for 40 years, 50 years, 60 years, then uh, then you know, every inside of that, you're gonna need a year off every now and again. So uh, so one of my dreams, when I was in high school, like, like, uh, like any good South Asian kid, uh, when I was in high school, I dreamed of going to an Ivy League college or university, but I didn't make it into one. So I went to, uh, I went to the university, down the road from you, Doug, the University of Colorado Boulder, mm-hmm. did my undergrad there, and I, I did well. I was in the honors program. I graduated magna cum laude, but, um, but it was, you know, the high school version of myself was always disappointed in me for never having gone to the Ivy Leagues. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, among the eight Ivies, Columbia University specifically has the best journalism program in the nation. And so Columbia had long been a dream of mine. And I applied. They, they have this particular fellowship uh, called the Knight Badgett Fellowship. It's a fellowship that's specifically for mid-career business and economic journalists. And if you get it, there are only 10 spots available per year. And, but if you get it, it's a full ride. Um, full ride, all tuition, all fees, plus they give you a living stipend. And because it's New York City, that living stipend is uh, $6,700 a month. Wow. Right? They give you a $6,700 monthly living stipend, plus they, co- they pay for everything. And so I applied for it in 2012, and I got rejected. And then I applied for it in 2020, and I got waitlisted. 
And then I applied for it again in 2021, and then I, that's when I finally got accepted. So it, it had been a long time in coming. Congratulations. Well, thank you. Yeah, I think it's awesome. Yeah. And then, JD, so you're on a sabbatical currently. So what, what have you been well, up to, sort of? For me, I, yeah. I'm hoping it's not a sabbatical. I'm really trying to be retired in the okay. traditional <laughs> sense of the word. At, at least retired from writing about personal finance. Perfect. Um, and so what I've been up to is, well, I had a really rough 2022. And uh, it's also been no secret that I've struggled with my mental health over the years. So I decided coming into 2023 that I was going to do whatever I could to make 2023 the year of me. And that's what I've been doing, essentially. I've been making choices that put me first. And it felt wrong at first. It felt selfish. It felt like I was doing something bad. But uh, the result is I'm much happier and I'm a, just a better friend and partner because I'm taking care of myself first. It's kind of like putting on your oxygen mask before you help other people put on theirs. And I've been uh, getting fit again. It's been a long time since I've been fit, so I've been working on that. And I've been uh, taking art classes, like I mentioned. I took a month off to travel. Uh, I took a 23-day cruise up the coast of Norway and then to Iceland. That was fun. Did that all by myself. And I've been... Uh, th this is very unusual for me, but I've been reading about uh, Eastern philosophy or religion or spirituality. What it, I don't know how to phrase it, but I'm really into Taoism right now. That's my, the thing I've been reading about. And it's been very helpful for me just on a personal mental health level, I think. It's just made, it's made me a happier, much more centered person. What drew you to the Eastern philosophies? I don't really know. Well, I, I do kind of know. So uh, I was reading a book called The Miracle of Mindfulness by... I never know how to pronounce the guy's name. Thich Nhat Hanh, I think it is. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I read that book two or three times while I was on this cruise uh, up the coast of Norway and to Iceland. And I was noticing it was really helping. He, again, he talks a lot about being present in the moment. When you're washing the dishes, you should just be washing the dishes. And it was really helping me feel more like myself. And so when I got home from that trip, I thought... I found a copy of the Tao Te Ching in my basement. I'm like, oh, I've read that a couple times. I've always thought it was kind of weird, woo-woo out there. But I'll give it another chance. And I read it, and I guess maybe it's because I'm old now. But all of a sudden, <laughs> instead of feeling weird and woo-woo and out there, it actually felt like it was full of wisdom. So I've just been reading that again and again and reading different translations, and it's been fun. Wow. Okay, so you guys did completely different stuff. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you... Paula, you wanted to go to an Ivy League. Uh, mm -hmm. You wanted to have, you wanted to check that box. Yeah. And you've like, you had the freedom and the resources to apply a few times. Were you looking to get anything specific out of mm -hmm. going to, going through that program? Yeah, absolutely. So I was a, a newspaper reporter. So out of undergrad, I, I worked at a newspaper for three years for the Colorado Daily, which no longer exists. Um, and the three years that I spent at, uh, new, th at that newspaper, which was 2005 to 2008, the training that I got during that brief period of time was critical in helping me start Afford Anything, in helping me learn how to blog, how to write a newsletter, um, how, to, how to grow a content business. And so my thinking was, if three years as an entry-level reporter at a small-town newspaper... With a, with a distribution of 40,000, which, you know, if, you're a, if you write a blog that's sufficiently big enough, 40,000 readers is not that many it compared to search traffic that Google might bring you, right? Like, if, if three years at a small paper, as an entry-level reporter at a small paper, was so instrumental in giving me the skill set that I needed in order to start Afford Anything, my thinking was, what could a year of complete immersion in specifically a business and economics journalism program at the best journalism school in the country. Like, what could that do to, to give me the skill set to be better at, at Afford Anything, to be a better interviewer, to be better at covering stories about economics and about the markets and about personal finance? Um, so that was a big piece of it as well. But the other thing is, you know, in the, in the context of a sabbatical specifically, I strongly did not want something that was unstructured or solo. So I, kind of opposite to you, JD, 
I really wanted structure and community because mm. with the, commu the community aspect was amazing. I could walk into the Pulitzer building literally any time of day and, well, not, I mean, between the hours of 8 a.m. to midnight, I could walk in at any point and I know that there would be 15 or 20 of my friends there, right? And to have one building that you can go to anytime and just walk in and see everybody that, that you like and that you love hanging out with, right? And, you know, and it's an unplanned interaction. Like, I could pull out my laptop and start checking my emails and I might be doing that by myself for 15 minutes and then somebody will come by and be like, hey, do you want to get lunch? Or, hey, uh, here, I've got some candy. Do you want some? Right? <laughs> right. Like, um, that's, that's living in a village. It's living in a community. So I, I will say that although I'm pursuing idleness, I, I'm kind of envious of Paula's experience here. And mm -hmm. I'm so glad that she had it. I, I don't get jealous of much anymore at this stage in my life, but I am jealous of that. Congratulations. Oh, that sounds so awesome. It, it sounds fun to have that kind of community and then to have that learning opportunity, too. Thank That'd be you. awesome. Thank you. You know, part of the inspiration for it was I thought about all of these hobbies that over the years I've wanted to develop, like like the fire arts. You know, I like there, there are times when I've ordered practice poi, which are these things, these things that you hold in your hands and you learn how to spin them. Like there are times that I've ordered that online and been like, okay, I can watch some YouTube videos and practice and try to learn how to spin these things. Mm -hmm. And I never do. And why? It's because deep down, if there's not a community there, then why would I, yeah. alone in my living room, you know, be watching a YouTube video? Yeah, community is so important. Right? First of all, I had no idea you were into fire art. That <laughs> society you, I was unaware of. Spinning. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. All right. Poi spinning, yeah. Okay. Uh, Paul is a good friend, and I had no idea this was an element of you. <laughs> but, but for me, like, I've wanted to get into art now for two or three years and have been unable to do it. So I had, uh, on my own, I, I haven't had the intrinsic drive to figure out how to do it. Uh, so I've been taking classes now at the community college, not, mm. not at Columbia. <laughs> and, uh, but having the community there at the community college, mm. it really does help. So it's not like idleness is complete isolation for me, right. but I, I get what you're saying about the community. Yeah, it's, yeah, exactly, exactly. And I think, I, I think that's, I, I'm putting an increasing value on not being isolated in anything mm. that you do. I think that there is, uh, and I think the pandemic really brought this home. Like pre-pandemic, when the rest of the world was IRL, you know, and I was like, hey, you guys, you know you can do more stuff remotely, right? You know you can be location independent. Um, and it really, it, the pandemic was what flipped it because that's when everybody started working from home. And the struggles that I, okay, let me back this up a little bit. I started working from home in 2010. And so from 2010 until 2020, for that decade, every time I said, oh, I work from home, people were like, 99 times out of 100, people were jealous. You know, they were like, oh, that sounds so cool. I bet it's amazing. They really glorified it. They put it on a pedestal. And whenever I would try to talk about some of the drawbacks, like, you yeah, actually can be kind of lonely people dismissed it offhand. Mm -hmm. And so I thought that there was something uniquely wrong with me. Like, why can't I enjoy this? And then 2020 happened, and everyone started experiencing the same work-from-home-related headaches that I was having. The, the loneliness, the isolation, the um, just the overwhelm of like constantly being in email and Slack, and like you just get so bombarded with in, inbound messaging that you're like, I, I can't, I can't reply to another email, I can't look at another Slack message, I'm done, you know? And then you just, like, just refuse to look at your email for a week, you know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and so, so when I realized that that was actually common, that there wasn't something uniquely wrong with me, that everyone is going through this, that was when I realized, you know what, we are, we are meant to be social creatures. Yeah. And uh, this whole sitting at home in front of a, a Zoom screen is just fundamentally really unhealthy and I'm going to make every decision in my life around how to do less and less of that. that, that that's awesome. So are, are you too familiar at all with the book Bowling Alone by Robert oh, Putnam? Oh yeah, that's an so, amazing book. Yeah, yeah, so it's about the, uh, Doug shaking his head no. So it, it's about the concept of social capital and it, it's especially about 
how in the United States, it, it was written in 1998, uh, so kind of pre-internet. It's about how in the United States, we've gradually lost the social bonds that used to be there. It's called mm -hmm. bowling alone because he's referring to how, you know, you might have used to have had bowling leagues where you get together with your buddies on a Wednesday night or whatever. Uh, and you might have gone to church and had church picnics all the time. And you just had a lot of social interactions. And even in 1998, pre-internet, pre-social media, Robert Putnam was observing that, you know, this kind of social interaction is breaking down and we have less and less of it and it makes people more and more isolated and uh, in a way less understanding of each other. And I think it's only gotten worse with the advent of the internet. I have a lot of strong opinions on this and I won't go off on too deep of a tangent here. But um, I think what you're saying, Paula, about uh, like working from home and how everyone got to see how that was so isolating, I think that's very much in line with what uh, Putnam wrote about in Bowling mm -hmm. Alone. Yeah, right. Excellent, excellent points. I know, I'm lucky I live in Longmont, Colorado. Yeah, you've got a, lot a big of, community there. A lot of retired folks. And I mean, we get out and hike occasionally, but in the last couple months, they've started doing like Tuesday night potlucks. So like people come out. And it, the other thing is uh, a lot of us are getting, we're a little bit older, you know, as we're all getting older. And we're trying not to drink as much. And a lot of the social gatherings before, it was like, ah, uh, we're getting together to drink. But these are not about drinking. It's like the community, have some dinner. It doesn't have to be a long thing. And it's like, not everyone goes every week, but there's always like a sprinkling of folks. Sometimes it's a little quieter, but like, it's uh, perfect. I mean, I'm so lucky to live in Longmont. Yeah. I have some friends back in Portland who are doing that thing. They started doing it every Sunday night during COVID. These are church going friends. And they couldn't. They didn't want to get together as an entire congregation, but a few of them, I think it's about ten or fifteen, decided they would get together on every Sunday night and they would do their own version of church, which is essentially just a potluck. And now they've continued it for three years, and mm -hmm. it's almost like there's a resurgence of this kind of stuff. People have recognized that. Oh, we miss this. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to pull it back into the sabbatical area a little bit. Did any of your family or friends? push back on this at all and think, why are you doing that? Mm -hmm. So Paula, what, oh, what about yeah. you? Absolutely. Well, first of all, I mean, everyone was like, why are you going to grad school? Like you, you yep. don't need it. You, <laughs> you, won. Yeah. you won already, right? Yeah. Like you've already, you, you run a successful business. Why would you press pause on a successful business to go to graduate school to get a degree that you don't need just so you can go back to the business that you already run? and do exactly what you're already doing, just, you know, with one year of atrophy, right? <laughs> uh, so yeah, no one understood. But I think that's because we, the, the, the dominant paradigm around grad school is that it is a means to an end, right? People mm. want, a lot of people who enroll, they want that piece of paper because that, that diploma can, I, you know, get them a higher paying job. Right? And that's a very, very different framework from, hey, I want to do this not because I want the piece of paper, but because I want the learning, I want the training, and I want that in a structured environment. And frankly, the people that I'm learning from at Columbia are like, some, I mean, just mind-blowingly talented and successful. Like the access that I had to great, great, reporters and editors was far above and beyond anything that I could have gotten, um, you know, through like a meetup.com kind of a thing, right? So, so for me, I wanted the training. Uh, I wanted to be among the best. Uh, you know, I, I, I wanted it not as a means to an end, but as an end in itself. And that's not something that people are typically familiar with when it comes to the concept of grad school. Right. It's an experience and like, yeah, yeah it's own reward. So did you, how do you deal with people in your life pushing back? Are you like, I don't give a fuck. I'm yeah. just going to, okay. Yeah, All right. exactly. Okay. <laughs> that's very Paula. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds right. Yeah. What about you? I, I, I think, it, well, first of all, I was going to say, I think it's going to be interesting to see how this experience affects 
the work that you do and the material mm. that you produce? Because you already know that I think you're one of the best writers in this space. And I know you do more podcasting than you do writing now. Mm-hmm. But I've always loved your writing and your journalism, let's say. And I think, what, what does it look like when Paula takes it to another level? I think it's going to be amazing. So. Oh, thank you. Um, go ahead. Oh, just to follow up on that, are there any clear outcomes from grad school where you're like, I know this is going to be better in the future? In terms of the sources that I interview, um, mm. you know, in the world of content creation, it's so easy to get into the echo chamber where creators just interview other creators. And uh, grad school made me really, you know, very aware that some of the most, if you truly want to understand economics, finance, uh, some of the best minds are not people with social followings. They're not people who are in the public eye. Um, They're people who have, you know, 20 followers on Twitter, but they, you know, they are some of the top economists uh, at leading institutions, at leading think tanks and, and universities, and they really know their stuff. And those are the people to talk to. Got it. Okay. And so, J.D., some people, uh, do they push back in your life as well or a little bit different? A little bit different. There are some people that have been skeptical because, like, why would I leave a successful blog and business that I've built? Why would I just walk away from it? And honestly, I, I was probably the most skeptical person, though, because I felt like, what if this is a terrible, terrible mistake? Um, but for the most part, the people who know me best have been the most supportive. And so that's, that's felt really good. They understand that this is a chance for me to learn and grow and change and uh, explore different facets of myself. Okay. From, from the start, I think... Both of you had a different goal. So obviously, Paula, maybe you don't even need to answer, right? You kind of already had. You wanted to experience going to grad school. It was its own experience. JD, did you have any specific goals like going into this? And I said sabbatical before. I think at the beginning it was sabbatical, but you're just like, it's indefinite. I get it. Yeah. So like, No. Yes and no. I have ideas in the back of my head of things that I would like to do. So let's use the art as an example. One of the reasons I want to pursue art, uh, it's no secret that I'm a nerd and I'm a lifelong fan of comic books. And in fact, I use uh, what I know about writing for comic books or or what I've learned from reading comic books. I use that knowledge when producing my blog. I incorporated these concepts in the way I wrote for the blog. Well... It occurred to me that it might be fun for me to learn how to tell stories visually and somehow learn to tell personal finance stories visually. So I say that I'm retired right now from the world of personal finance, but in the back of my head, I have this idea that if I can somehow learn to be a visual artist, I might be able to use a new medium to pursue the same stories and the same attempts to teach people that I was doing before, but in a different way. Kind of like Carl Richards with the napkins? Yeah. yeah. Kind of, but, yeah, instead of just line art, though, maybe go right. a little bit more in depth. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but exactly right, Paula. Okay. And you, have, you haven't completely stopped writing, right? You started personal blogging again at Folded Space. That's your personal blog, right? That, that's right. So, uh, as background... I always say that I started blogging before blog was even a word. So I started an online web journal back in 1997, and it evolved into a blog. Is as This coming from the guy who described 98 as pre-internet. <laughs> well, okay, fair enough. That's, that's true. Okay. Oh, God, in my own... No, um, Journalist. Great. Yeah, exactly. That's right. She's fact-checking me. See how it goes. I... I when I started that web journal, it eventually evolved into a blog. Its blogs became a thing. And that personal blog, where I wrote, I always say I wrote about cats and computers and comic books, because that was really my topics. <laughs> that eventually became Get Rich Slowly. And what I've done is I've decided I want to return to my roots. And so now I'm back to writing at Folded Space is the name of the blog, but it's at jdroth.com. And I'm not writing about cats and computers and comic books, although give it time. Yeah, but I'm just writing about whatever comes to mind. And it's, it's been very free. 
it, it's almost like coming home or getting back to my roots where I get to write about whatever I want, whenever I want. Did either of you expect any specific challenges along the way? So, Paula, you mm-hmm. were setting aside, you set aside your business for a little while. You have a team, right? Mm-hmm. So, a- any other challenges or was that a specific challenge that you needed to worry about? Yeah, you know, so a couple of things. Number one, I was, I was worried about, I mentioned atrophy earlier. Um, this, this world is very much a publisher parish type of world. So the entire time that I was at Columbia, I was still publishing a podcast episode every week, uh, which was a lot of work. But, um, you know, but everything else behind the scenes I wasn't doing, um, and which is, which is honestly the bulk of it. You know, that's a, the bulk of the podcast is the most public facing thing that I do. But, uh, you know, the other 35 hours of my week are spent doing a lot of other things. And so putting that to the side, you know, I tried to train the team as best I could to be able to run things in my absence, but I still found myself getting looped in over and over and over. And I had this movie uh, on Netflix that came out right at the beginning of the academic year. It, It came out on September 5th. And so we had this huge influx you know, my Instagram followers went from 40,000 to 60,000 in one month. And my uh, subscribers, my newsletter subscribers went from like 55,000 to like 75,000. So we had this massive influx of new audience at exactly the moment that I was like, sorry guys, I'm out for a year. (laughs) It was terrible timing. (laughs) That, you know... I forgot you had the Netflix thing, yeah. too. Yeah. Funny, funny enough. Yeah. Okay. So that was a little stressful. How, how yeah. did you do? Were you just like... I, you I, know, I gained 30 pounds is what I did. Oh, my <laughs> I, gosh. I, I just ate my feelings the entire... I stopped working out, and I ate my feelings, and I... But, you know, honestly, like, I would wake up at 6 a.m. I would get on Zoom at, like, 6.30. I would Zoom with the team, with... Uh, with my chief sanity officer. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would Zoom with her from like 6.30 to about 7.30 or 8. And then I would, around somewhere between 7.30 to 8, I would get off the Zoom call, um, make some breakfast, get dressed, and then get on the subway and commute to campus. And I'd be on campus by 9 a.m. And then I'd be there, you know. So, so you know. I mean, basically, the hours of the morning that other people spend on going to the gym or, um, or meditating or whatever the hell people do at, you know, 7 in the morning, um, those were the hours when I was on Zoom trying to keep afford anything afloat. Got it. I was going to say, one of the things that I find interesting, Paula, is you've chosen to take what you already do well and, like, try to find a way to enhance it and do it even better. And what I'm doing is like almost the exact opposite, where I'm like taking something I do well and I'm saying, fuck it, I'm going to start over from scratch with something I don't know anything about, mm. and I'm just going to be a raw beginner. Mm. It's an interesting contrast. Yeah. And it's been hard, too, because I really don't have any experience with art, so I am a raw beginner. And as a 54-year-old man, to go into something like watercolor, which is what I'm in right now, and not really know at all what I'm doing. It's very humbling. It is so humbling. You're not used to just starting over from scratch at this age. And yet, it's what I have to do. It's, yeah, it's interesting. I've, I've been playing more guitar lately. And mm-hmm. I'm not very good. I've played for a few years, but I understand what you're saying. I, I'm trying to do finger style, which is like a whole different instrument. You, you play a little guitar, right, JD? Or well, you, I, I've yeah. taken lessons in the past, and I, I thought, didn't you used to have a, ba- a guitar in the background in your video? Yeah. I do, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, do you play any instruments, Paul? No. 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 Okay. Yeah, it's definitely humbling when you're like, I just need to move my finger, but it just won't do the thing yeah. that you need to, or you have to go like so slow. So, very interesting. Okay. So, I asked you about challenges, uh, JD, or any other challenges before we move on? Anything else that you that popped up? Well, and I think uh, while you're thinking, you mentioned you stopped working out as much. So it's like an area of your life that I know you were putting a good mm-hmm. amount of time and effort into, and it's like you had to drop that aside yeah. for a little while. Oh, yeah. I think the last time we saw each other was at, was it at, at Economy? Yes. Yeah. And a long at, time ago. Yeah. At that time, as, as you probably recall, I was like super into weightlifting. Yeah, I were. was um, 
man, I was, I remember my step count on Fitbit was like, I was, tr- I was gunning for like a hundred thousand steps a week. Wow. Holy um, yeah. So yeah, Paula. I was, uh, you know, I was in my, I was in probably my peak physical shape of my adult life, right at orientation. Okay. You know, and now today I'm in prob actually almost certainly the worst shape of my adult life. Mm. So it's it's actually kind of stunning to me how quickly, in in the span of one year, how I went from my best shape ever to my worst shape ever. So. It's, it's kind. That's kind of remarkable. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's happened to me yeah. in the past. So yeah, <laughs> I, did, I, I, did, I didn't know it could happen so quickly. Yeah, and and then the older you get, the more difficult it is to get back in shape. So mm. last December, I started trying to get fit again, and you know, ten years ago, I went through a fitness kick and I got really fit, and it came pretty easily at 42, 43 years old. But at fifty four, it's like. God damn, it just, <laughs> it's so slow. And you got to put in more work. Mm. But it, it happens. Mm. You get fit. Okay. Well, I, I've been, as, as of the time of this recording, I have been in my 40s for... <laughs> How many hours? Uh, let's see, 16. 16 hours. I've been in my Woo-hoo. 40s for 16 hours. Happy birthday. Thank Congrats. you. <laughs> so... Let's see. Well, J.D., did you have any challenges uh, that you foresaw, or, and how has it turned out? Obviously, it's some difficulty. Or did I just ask you that? I can't remember. No, no you didn't. <laughs> I, I volunteered the whole beginner's mind thing. So okay. w- one challenge for me, especially with the beginner's mind, and I, I suspect that both of you will be able to relate to this, is I tend to be a perfectionist. And so I'm used to being able to do things well. And so doing the art and starting from the beginner as a beginner and then producing watercolors that look like a high school freshman produced them that's challenging for somebody who's a perfectionist but also at the same time one thing that's helping me get over this is not only the Taoism which says you know just let go have a beginner's mind uh, but also I didn't choose watercolor in a way watercolor chose me because I wanted to take drawing classes but every time I would go to register for drawing classes something would happen a family member would get sick uh, or I actually successfully registered for the drawing classes uh, this fall, but then they were canceled because of low enrollment. And so the only thing available was a watercolor class, so that's what I chose. And as it turns out, I really, really enjoy it because it's like a puzzle. It's, it's, I don't understand any of it. It's like a puzzle trying to figure it out and how to make it work. Okay. And just to make sure we cover our bases. So we talked about the challenges that you expected, maybe a couple things that you've experienced. Anything that was unexpected where you're like, this came out of nowhere and it was actually much harder, much more difficult than I expected? I mean, at Afford Anything, it was, uh, I needed more involvement than I realized I would. You know, the, the stuff that people say about like, oh, you can just kind of put your business on autopilot. I mean, Maybe other people can, but I, I, I needed to be on those Zoom calls. Is that because you're you know? a perfectionist? No, no. It's okay. because my team needed me. Got and it. they they didn't... Kn- Sometimes it was for logistical reasons, like, um, you know, to log in to Gusto in order to... Like, there's a facial recognition thing for a particular section of it, and only my face is programmed for... So sometimes it was like... Sometimes it was something, like, logistical like that. Sometimes it would be, um, you know, there the health insurance open enrollment, and I have to, my signature has to be on that. You know, some, um, we put up a new retirement plan. Um, I had to sign off. Uh, you know, is it we just, the SEP IRA versus the simple IRA? Which one are we going to pick? Like, you know, so they needed. They couldn't just kind of like. They could do the research. They could come to me with a recommendation. But I still needed to like give it the final thumbs up. Absolutely, it makes right. Sense. Um, so, so part of it was was that. Uh, the other thing, though, is like our audience numbers fell, our engagement fell, our podcast listenership declined um, over the span of the year. Um, you know, we had that big boost because of the Netflix movie, but I don't know uh, how engaged any of those people continue to be, right? So, um, and, our, and our revenue declined. Like, our, our revenue in both 2020, last year and this year, so the, you know, half the academic year was last year and half the academic year was this year, right? Our revenue for both years is half of what it used to be. Um, mm. Because functionally, I, I was only there 
being able to bring in revenue for half the year. So, um, so I'm, you know, pay, I'm, but I still have to pay my staff the same or actually higher salaries because we're, sure. you know, they wanted, I, I had to give a raise. Like, um, I had to issue a raise in December, like in the middle of the school year. So I'm now paying more money in salaries on less revenue. So, you know. I'm curious. So are you back full time now at yep. Afford Anything? Okay. Yeah. And, and it's been a couple months now that you've been back? Yeah, yeah. But it's, it's very much been like kind of damage control. Okay. Know? Yeah. Are like, things turning around yet or is it? I think so. We we just did another launch of the course, and so that oh, yeah. that brought in a, f- a fresh infusion of revenue. Um, but there's there's still a lot of cleanup that needs to happen. Your first rental property. Yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I'm a paying member of that course. Yes, you are. That's right. And still hunting for my first rental property too. Oh. That, that, that's another thing. So part of my idleness is like it allows me to explore things like, okay, uh, do I want to be a landlord? I actually. I'm afraid to try new things a lot of times. This is just part of who I am. And that includes being a landlord. So I sit there and I talk about it and I read books about it and I take courses about it. uh, And I'm afraid to pull the trigger. And so I never do. But this year, we came very, very close. Actually went out and toured a property. Ultimately decided not to do it because of the structure of the deal. But But your course is... Yeah, we keep poking away at it. Oh, excellent. Excellent. I'm glad to hear that. So, J.D., any unexpected uh, other challenges that popped up? Not for me. For me, uh, there haven't really been challenges so much as opportunities. And that sounds like... That, that, <laughs> I know it, it sounds... Wow. No, no, no. no. <laughs> I don't mean it in off. that semantic way. I know that's a semantic game that people like to play. And I don't mean to do it in that way. It's just that... <laughs> Uh, once I made the decision that get rich slowly is not what I'm doing, it was very liberating. It was freeing. And so all of a sudden, there really were opportunities to do things, not necessarily challenges. And it, it really changed how I looked at things. It, it allowed me to reframe things. An example I always use is that uh, for as long as I've had my dog, and I love my dog, uh, I had her for seven years, but I've always been resentful of the daily walk. She's a high-energy hound who needs an hour walk a day. And I'm like, I don't want to give you an hour. That's an hour I could be using to do something else. And now I've reframed that, and it's like it's a joy to give her this hour walk a day because it's a chance for me to just slow down and look around. And it's not that I'm actually like meditating, but it is kind of like I'm meditating. Mm-hmm. And I'm just present with the dog in nature, and enjoying it. I, one thing I hate about the conferences is uh, I don't get my daily walk with the dog. I would mm-hmm. walk two or three hours if I could. I probably only get an hour and a half per day, but it's fantastic. And you know, their lives are shorter and we're codependent with our dog. I'll just be honest with you. So like, it's uh, uh, me, me too. Yeah. I, like, I say I my dog so is my best friend. Yeah. So no kids, right? So yeah, exactly. Dog's a kid. Um, yeah, so I, I really miss walking the dog, uh, and it's part of the daily routine, and uh, yeah. it's really important. So, and I've, I've reframed it exactly how you mentioned. And, and for me, the dog walk is the only real routine I have in my life, because my ADD doesn't do well with routine, <laughs> and so uh, the dog walk is the only aspect of routine I have in my life, and so I miss it when I'm at conferences, too. Yeah, yeah. Do you walk your cat? <laughs> yeah. I see those people. I judge them a little bit, but uh, yeah. it works for them. So. I can see Paula doing it too. Yeah, no, no, my cat, my cats. Uh, neither one of them, I think, would take well to a walk. <laughs> I think they would just like growl at the leash. Don't you yeah. have a turtle or something? Too? I do. Yeah, I do have yeah. a turtle. I have two cats and a turtle. Yeah, you don't exercise the turtle though, like that. No, no. The turtle swims. The turtle exercises himself. Yeah. yeah. How, how long will it live? The turtle? I think 70 years. So basically, he's my life partner, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, so for people that are thinking about taking a sabbatical, right? So you both had different goals. What advice would you give them or what advice would you give yourself for a year ago? So for me, um, I was going into it. I... I was starting to burn out a little bit at the time that I went into the sabbatical. And so one thing that really helped me was because it had so much structure around it, 
and it had a very definitive start date and end date, right? Um, I knew, I was like, all right, this is a, a very structured time with a clear start and a clear finish. And at the end of this, I need to either exit or double down. It's going to be one of the two. So I don't, you know, going in, I was like, I don't know exactly which one it's going to be, but this is, this is my break to go do something that I've always wanted to do. And on May 17, which is graduation day, like by then I will need a decision, exit or double down. And so um, it became clear to me over the span of that sabbatical that I was like increasingly eager to get back to afford anything. And as the months went on and I just had all of these ideas that I couldn't take any action on, I was like, oh, like by the end, I was just chomping at the bit to go back to afford anything. Did you capture so, those ideas? Did you have a way to capture them as, you, as they came to you? Because for me, a lot of times I get yeah. inspiration and if I don't capture it immediately, it's gone. For, for me, it was as I had, you know, I had dozens of ideas, but which ones stood out as the biggest? And so it, I, didn't, I didn't really need to capture it because there were just a couple, um, really two, that just kept coming back over and over as like, these are the two things the two really, really big things that we need to do. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Amazing. What are the two things? Can you tell us? Top yeah, secret? so one of them is um, I want to go big into YouTube. And YouTube is another area where five or six years ago, our videos were getting, I mean, our best videos were getting like 100,000, 200,000 views. Now I put out a video and it gets 400 views, mm-hmm. 500 views. It's like the atrophy there is just in, insane. I, I think you're great yeah. for YouTube. It's perfect yeah. for you. Yeah. Thank you. And especially with all the different colors of blazers you have. <laughs> I don't More even have one blazer. <laughs> you can borrow one of mine. <laughs> um, so I want, you know, YouTube is a big priority. It, like I said, is not an area where we have a lot of views. So please, if you're listening to this, go subscribe to us on YouTube, youtube.com slash afford anything. Uh, and watch our videos and like, mm-hmm. um, because we we don't get a lot of views on uh, on our videos yet. But I think it's important. I think it's a really important platform to be on. I think we have neglected it for many many years, and so that's it's a huge priority. And it's a shady t- to what you were talking about, like being a beginner again, mm-hmm. right? It's it feels like being a year one blogger, right? Because it's it's a platform that I don't really have a a big audience on. And so, you know, I'll, I'll publish a video and it'll get like 600 views. And I'm like, wow. Is that liberating or is it frustrating? It's, it's, or ni- is it both? it's neither. It's, um, it's, it's just a reminder. Like, you know, on what I can publish a newsletter and it goes out to 78,000 subscribers. And it's a reminder to not get too used to that. Like on one hand, I, I have um, anything that I publish in the newsletter I know will be read by tens of thousands of people and anything I publish on YouTube will be seen by a few hundred people, you know? And so it's, it kind of balances me in that way because I get, I get that mix of both. I get that mix of what it's like to be a beginner who's in some ways kind of shouting into the void and, but then also what it's like to be 12 years in and, and have an established audience and a big community. Yeah, I, I think it's interesting that you're uh, going to try to push more on the YouTube. Again, I think you'd be great at it. Um, but I've thought about doing that myself, not with personal finance content, because I don't mm-hmm. want to be producing personal finance content, but basically doing like my personal blog, but doing, doing it on YouTube. Right. And doing it, a lot of the YouTube content that I consume is very polished. And I don't want to, I want it to be rough, just like my blog is. I want it to be, I don't want it to be hard to watch or listen to, but I want it to be much more amateurish and like the early days of YouTube with vlogs. I'd like to do something like that. I think there's a place for that. So we're going to have to start wrapping up here in a second, but I want to ask so many more questions. I'm excited to see more (laughs) of your uh, YouTube stuff, but JD, what advice would you give someone that is looking to take like sort of an open-ended sabbatical? It's interesting because I get a lot of questions when I go to events and I speak at events and I sit down and I talk with people and they ask for my advice. And it's very easy to give advice to them because as an outside observer, just listening to what they're telling me, I can often 
say, oh, you ought to do this. You should take the risk. It's not as risky as it seems. And so if I were to, so it's easy for me to do that for other people, but not as good for me to, or as easy for me to do that for myself. So if I could go back a year ago or two years ago, I think I would tell that JD, no, 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 no. Just be willing to take the risk. It's not that big of a deal. You have a safety net. Uh, Paula and I are both very fortunate in that we have safety nets which allow us to take some of these risks and do these things. I would give myself the advice, go for it. Just do it. If it doesn't work out, you can always go back and write about money. Awesome. This has been really fun. I appreciate that you guys took the time out this afternoon. Where can people find you, Paula? Oh, youtube.com slash afford anything. <laughs> and you're, you're so, publishing yeah. <laughs> video interviews now, right? Yeah, like, yeah. Get, I finally, finally started publishing. The irony is when I published audio only with a static thumbnail, I would get like thousands of views. And since I started publishing actual videos, I now only get hundreds of views. So maybe you need to go back to the static <laughs> thumbnail. Yeah, exactly. YouTube. So, but find me on YouTube, and you can also find me on Instagram at Paula Pant, Twitter uh, at Afford Anything, and then of course there's the the podcast, Perfect. which you can find Spotify, Pandora. You're everywhere. Yeah. All this stuff. Any, right. Anywhere you find podcasts. JD, where can we find you? Right now, just at jdroth.com. I'm doing my best to reduce my internet footprint, and I'm just drawing back. People here are telling me that I'm a hermit. I'm not really a hermit, but I am trying to return to my roots, like I said earlier. And so jdroth.com is where I plan to do anything I'm doing, anything that I'm sharing online. Awesome. Yeah, I love it. That's a whole other conversation. You're like trying to minimize the footprint oh, yeah. and all that. I'm de-Google-fying my life as much as I can. Very can't, cool. can't get rid of YouTube, can't get rid of Google Maps, but everything else I'm trying to get rid of. Outstanding. You guys are awesome. Thank you. You're awesome. Thank, Thank you. you. Right. Yeah, I guess we're going to hit the button. Thanks for listening to the show. That was the Mile High Five podcast, and I'm Doug Cunnington, the Balder host, and Carl Jensen is the cool, sexy one. If you dig the show, please do three things for us. Number one, tell a friend, a family member, an enemy about the show. We really don't care who you tell. Maybe forward them a specific show that you know that they will like. It's the single most helpful thing that you can do to spread the word. It's like giving us a virtual high five and uh, actually we don't give high fives in, in person. So the virtual kind is pretty good. And more importantly, your friend or family member or even your enemy will appreciate the fact that you were thinking of them. Number two, make sure you're following or subscribed on your podcast app, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Overcast, YouTube, whatever you're using. And that way you won't miss a show. And number three, please leave us a rating and review. We read them on the show occasionally, and you might hear yours out there on an upcoming episode. Quick disclaimer, this show is not financial or legal advice. I'd actually be surprised if it sounded like it. It's really just for entertainment, and that's at least what we're hoping for. But seriously, get advice from professionals. Carl and I are just two guys with microphones that sit in my basement and talk. So we'll catch y'all next week.